Okay. Hey, Dad. How are you? Hi there. I'm fine. How are you doing? Good. Uh, it's a little strange to talk to you in this this format since I've of course we talked <laughs> numerous times over the last uh, decades. But uh, yes. and this is going to be a little different than the normal show. Uh, so you're my father. Uh, hi, Dad. Mm-hmm. But hi there. To everybody else, you're Gary West. And um, a little background about you. Uh, you worked for CDC, I don't was it 30, something, 35 years? Uh, close to 35 years. I worked for the Centers for Disease Control. And then later I worked for a, an organization called Family Health International. Yep. And there you were working on, I remember the Gates Foundation had some items you were working on. Yeah, I worked on... Well, at CDC, I worked on many things, many different infectious diseases. Uh, I went through a training. I'm not a physician, but I went through the training of an epidemic intelligence service officer and then did epidemiology for several years, both in Utah and then later in Thailand. And um, when I was with FHI, I was the senior vice president for research, and I worked on a wide range of uh, infectious disease and actual contraception, contraceptive devices is there. Mm-hmm. And I worked there about five years. And now I'm just, uh, I'm teaching. I'm an assistant professor at uh, at UNC, but uh, my schedule is pretty light these days. And uh, of course, you worked on the AIDS program for, uh, what, a couple decades, I, I think? Um, yeah, I worked from, yeah, nearly nearly 20 years. And then I went to Vietnam and, and spent a couple more years working on it there. So I, yeah, I worked a lot on uh, from the start, really, of the, uh, the after the epidemic was first recognized, but when we were starting the major prevention program for the United States, and I, which was in '86, I got started working out of Atlanta at that time. Before that, I worked in the smallpox program in Bangladesh. Had a interesting experience there, eradicating uh, dangerous disease. So I, I've worked on a really wide range of issues and diseases and mm-hmm. conditions. At the two places, yeah, I think I was a, a, a little little toddler back then when when that happened. Yeah, you're with us in Bangkok, and <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. you had a great time, and yeah. uh, it was a nice time there. We were working at refugees at that time. Mm-hmm. I remember. So uh, what's interesting is most most of the time, you know, I I, I remember going to your CDC retirement, and uh, and I remember them singing the the hero song, uh, but you oh, know, yeah. growing up, I, I never really understood the impact of all that you did. Uh, and I tended to undersell it, and you know, I, people ask what, your, what does your dad do, and I so I worked for CDC. But this year, I think I've probably oversold uh, because we've talked a lot, and uh, we've talked about the pandemic, and uh, that's actually why I w- wanted to bring you on the show. Uh, of course, this is sure. a, a movie podcast, so this is a very, very unique episode. Um, and and actually, you did plant some seeds to uh, to how I got into film, so we'll talk about that as well. Okay. Uh, but but yeah, I. I I think uh, it sounds like you've been researching COVID and the pandemic quite a bit. Right. Um, yes, I, I have. I'm teaching a class on it right at the moment. Oh, really? Before we get to that, actually, I, I don't think you've listened to the show before. If, if you have. No, I, I don't. Um, no, I don't think so. I should mention uh, the people that have listened. Um, we did have, and I, I might have told you about this, but if not, um, we had uh, Matthew Modine on. Uh, oh, yeah. I think he did mention that to me. Yeah, it was right, right, right before COVID. And... Um, yeah, almost immediately before COVID, and uh, I, I told him about you, and I told him about uh, your uh, well, who he played in, and the band played on. Uh, That's right, Juan Francis, which we knew. Um, 
Right. And, and he was really, uh, really impressed by that, uh, that common, um, common, um, I guess, connections, I guess. Uh, so he, he really felt a lot of passion about that role. And, um, and, and you probably know him just from, I think if you just look at the social media, he's been very active about, uh, you know, COVID and, uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, doing the right thing regarding the pandemic. But, um, yeah, I never met Matthew, but, um, Don Francis, I work with quite a bit. He taught me the clinical uh, aspects of smallpox disease and then later worked with me on HIV in a variety of uh, positions. And he actually took my office in uh, California when he came out there from CDC to start work and where the where the movie really begins. Mm -hmm. So. So, yeah, he's uh, he's retired now, but he's uh, only person I know that's been portrayed in two movies outbreak and and the band played on that's right outbreak I, I i forgot that was him but uh yeah uh, dustin hoffman's played played don's role okay um, maybe i'll get no dustin, movies dustin about on, me. The, on the show <laughs> yeah well yeah there's there's time um yeah. so anyway you, you mentioned you're teaching a class and uh what's yeah. interesting is I, I listened to you on another podcast uh just recently and that's actually what prompted me to invite you on this one and you had been talking about the pandemic I want to say it was mm -hmm. June or July, and basically everything you said yeah. came to fruition, and uh, and everything you've told me has come out right. So why don't you talk about the uh, the class you're you're teaching about COVID? Well, I'm teaching. Uh, I have a there's an NGO right now. Uh, UNC is not using its uh, adjunct professors like me, so I have a lot of spare time. So I'm teaching uh, to a group uh, here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. These are mostly uh, older people, but they're professionals, doctors and meteorologists and other people who are, have an interest. And I'm teaching them an actual 12-week course on COVID, everything you wanted to know and didn't want to know about COVID. And so they're, they're getting uh, a lot. And it's going quite well. Interesting. So, and of course, COVID is impacting everybody. Uh, I don't know if you care to share your personal experiences with, with whether your vaccine plans and that sort of thing. Um, sure. Mm -hmm. uh, it's I'll leave it up to you. I don't want to put you on the spot. No, it's no, I'm obviously everyone who's eligible should take the vaccine without question. And okay. I can talk more about the vaccine properties and how effective they are. But I've already uh, got my first dose uh, about a little more than a week ago. And then I'll come in for the second dose um, in about two more weeks from now. And um uh, so people who are over 65 are eligible for the vaccine here in North Carolina. I think the same is true about South Carolina. I'm not sure of that, though. Yes, they just opened it up. Uh, in fact, mm -hmm. uh, teachers, uh, Andrea, my wife is a teacher, so she mm -hmm. they, they, they pushed people um, 65 and and older in front of her, which is, is fine with her. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's, did you do the Pfizer or the Moderna? I took the Pfizer. Okay. So you have a... They're both very good. They're, actually, all the vaccines are good. All the ones that are licensed in the United States or that will be licensed. I should mention we're recording on the February 6th, so the, there, a lot's going to change. This this episode will That's probably right. be outdated Every week. pretty soon. Yeah. Um, so as of right now, there's so there's two vaccines, and um, and we, we're seeing case counts fade a little bit, but and deaths are dropping a little bit, but although still... Um, well, the... Uh, well, there are two vaccines that got emergency authorization from the FDA, Pfizer and Moderna. Mm -hmm. And then there's uh, two other vaccines that have now submitted 
their applications to the FDA. And I've heard that the uh, one from J&J, Johnson & Johnson, will be uh, – the FDA will meet on it on February 28th, and it will probably get approved. And then Novavax, which has another vaccine, uh, uh, is looks quite good. And it, I haven't seen a meeting date, but I think it will be approved maybe in February, if not early March. Okay. There's a lot of that, – that's the, the issue with vaccines. There's a lot of misinformation about them. In fact, I've, yes. I've heard – living in South Carolina, I've heard some weird things like uh, – I think I just heard – the other day that Moderna impacts fertility? Um, no. Yes. So, so far, uh, we have these two vaccines. I think there's been, what, 30 million vaccinated? And you read a lot of studies. Yeah, more than about 35 million plus now. Ha- have there been any side effects Side effects, or are there risks? Well, that- there are. There are. Uh, I've worked a lot in vaccines. I didn't mention that. I've worked on vaccines for literally half of my career at CDC and then again at FHI. But, um, yeah, there. With any vaccine, there's some frequency of side effects, and uh, hopefully they'll be minor. In this case, they are minor, so they tend to be sore arm mm-hmm. for a day or two. Mine was. I just had it, so I went through this. Maybe a little bit of fatigue. Some people get a headache um, for a day or two, and some people feel a little tired. But it's they're very transient. Severe reactions are really low with these two vaccines, or higher in other commonly used vaccines, and. Um, uh, there's been some uh, allergic reactions, but they're occurring about one per million doses of the vaccine given, and they're manageable allergies. Any kind of allergic reaction to a substance can be dangerous, but uh, sure. to the best of my knowledge, all of them have been easily handled without any problem. So it's a very; these are both very safe vaccines, and they're highly effective. They are at uh, their efficacy is at 95% for both of them, which is pretty unusual. We don't have many vaccines that get 95% in terms of protecting protecting against disease. And important to note that these uh, vaccines are, are research or study to see if they can prevent disease, not necessarily infection, right. which will be important when we talk about theaters here. And, and then we often find out about their effectiveness in preventing severe illness and death. So these have 95%, both of them, 95% effectiveness against preventing you getting sick from COVID. And uh, that's really great. And the other vaccines coming up are, are different. They're a little bit lower in their, in their efficacy, but they're still very good. And yeah, and so as of right now, I, I believe the numbers are, uh, the vaccinations are maybe 1.3, 1.4 per day. I think it varies by the day, I don't know the role. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's running higher. It's mm-hmm. uh, starting to get. It just reached 1.3 to 1.4 a day. I think you'll see it exceed 1.5 million per day in the coming weeks. Yeah, I know they're using NFL stadiums uh, for and uh, and college stadiums. So, yeah, they're, they're really gearing up now to yeah, get the vaccine. Good. There's there's still a problem with the supply though. It's still a little short. It, the supply is increasing. They've given out about 53 million doses. And uh, they're getting up toward, um, you know, 30 some million, 30 plus million doses administered already. But uh, if they're going fast, but not as fast as some people would like. Sure. And I heard that there's 200 million doses that they, that we purchased of Pfizer Moderna. I don't know the exact number. You probably do. Uh, yes, yeah, 200 million so far. And th- but there's contracts. I believe they did a, a second contract with Pfizer for I think 100 or 200 million doses, which will come later in the later in the spring or early summer. 
Okay. And of course, Johnson & Johnson, I, I've, I've been trying to figure out the supply. Uh, of course, they have to go through their approval process. Um, right. And I've, I've heard a lot of commentary about that one being less effective. Um, I think, well, I've heard it's less effective at, um, at uh, yeah, it's, was it 85 or 60, 60 something? Um, you could tell me. But it's very effective against hospitalization and severe illness. Is that correct? That's right. Well, I believe they've, I think they have a contract already for 100 million doses from Johnson & Johnson, but they can't ship that until FDA approves it. And yeah, the, uh, the effectiveness is, uh, I think, 72%. I may have it slightly, slightly wrong because I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it's around 72%. And at least 85% against protecting, against having to be hospitalized with COVID. And there were no deaths recorded in among the people in the trial who received the vaccine. So, so it's it's protecting you against disease. It's protecting against getting severely ill, at least enough to be hospitalized, and apparently protecting against dying. Of course, if you, you know, usually the step is you get sick, you get more sick, you have to be hospitalized, and you die in the hospital. Not everyone dies in the hospital, but it looks like it's very effective across the board. So it's a really it's a good vaccine. And it'll, it'll protect you against the most serious aspects, aspects of COVID. Also, it's uh, one dose, mm -hmm. not two doses like the, uh, Pfizer and Moderna. And it can be stored in a refrigerator so they can take it out to rural areas and places that would be hard to go with the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines because of their cold storage requirements. And then Novavax, isn't that? Uh, Novavax, Is right. that Europe, European, UK? company or is that American? No, I think it's a U.S. I believe it's m many of these companies are in U.S. and in other countries. I believe that Novavax is in a, a U.S. company. I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure it's a U.S. based. But they may have an affiliate out in the Europe as well. Okay. And they haven't filed yet for, uh, for uh, with the No, FDA. but they're going to soon. Okay. That's what I, I hear they'll be filing very soon. So we should have four vaccines. I know the AstraZeneca is, I know they're using that in the UK right now, but um, do you expect that that's one? That's right. We'll, um... Yeah, I think that's going to uh, eventually get authorized here in the US. And uh, they were going to be, they were one of the first vaccines to come out with findings, but there was a few issues uh, on their report. And so they've gone back and done some additional studies and are, I think are getting ready to submit to the FDA, although I haven't heard um anything about the timeline, but I think they will submit and, uh, they will, uh, I, I think they'll probably get approved. So it'd be a fifth vaccine before too long. And they're also, they're similar to the, um, there are two dose vaccine, but their efficacy is about the same as the Johnson and Johnson, roughly the same. All these vaccines are performing quite well. Okay. And, for so that's that's encouraging five four four maybe five vaccines and and so for somebody like me that's low risk you know and, and I think age is the biggest risk factor but you know low risk across the board uh, you know w w would you recommend I wait for a vaccine or just take the first one available or, or no, I take the first one available even if it's you know the one of the l l less effective I'm... yeah especially if you're low risk a younger person. You know, you're most likely going to get mild disease anyway if you get infected, although there's some are unlucky. Mm -hmm. But the vaccine is going to protect you against severe disease and death, probably infect you against any disease. And so it's, it's fine, especially for uh, uh, people at lower risk. I think for 
higher risk. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hesitate to recommend it for a higher risk person, to be honest with you. I think really? it's perfectly safe and, and effective. But there is a slightly higher efficacy in the uh, Moderna and um, Pfizer vaccines. But, uh, you know, I, I don't want to go into immunology too much here, but sure. I would be I would be I would have no reservations for telling uh, a person, uh, older person, if they had access to the J&J vaccine to take it. And I would take the first one you have access to. OK. And of course, there's the uh, the the UK and then the South African variant, and I think there may be other yeah. variants. Um, I, from what I understand, yeah. the vaccines do address it to a lesser degree. Is that is that correct? Well, essentially, so um, uh, right now, the across the United States, the number of reported COVID cases has declined about thirty percent over the past several weeks, and so we're in a good. Um, Kind of the trend is good right at the moment, but these variants have appeared, and uh, you know this is a COVID. It's actually the real name of it is uh, SARS CoV number two, which means SARS that we had about ten years ago, fifteen years ago, was SARS number one. And I was there in Vietnam when that outbreak uh, broke out. In fact, my colleague with the WHO died of SARS uh, mm. when I was there, but uh, so. So this is an RNA virus, and uh, so you don't have to know a lot about it, but the one important characteristic is that it's highly mutagenic. It's mutating all the time. I think it's about one per thousand replications. It has some, some sort of mutation. Most of the mutations are, don't have any effect or maybe even harmful effect, but every once in a while, a mutation uh, provides some characteristic that makes the virus um, Easy, easier to replicate or to attach to the cells in the human body in this case. And that's what's happening. So um, these mutations, so there's a number of variants that have appeared. Now, these variants all have multiple mutations. But among the mutations that they have are ones that help them better attach to the human cells, certain types of the called ACE2 cells, the ACE2 receptors on certain cells of your body it makes it more likely that when they get near the cell, they can attach. And that makes it more likely you'll be infected and that you'll get disease or you'll get some uh, mild or more severe, depends on a lot of other characteristics. So there's no question that these variants, and there's three variants that are being followed. One that was in the UK, and they all have kind of complicated numbers that helps the geneticists see what what has changed in their genomes. But there's the UK variant, there's a South Africa variant, and there's a Brazil variant, which is probably the uh, 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 genetically related to the South Africa variant. So the UK variant, it's pretty clear that uh, this is uh, a virus that's more transmissible than the original uh, virus that we came in, came in contact with when the epidemic, when the pandemic started. So uh, it's about maybe, let's say, 50% more infectious. Uh, so that's pretty, that's pretty uh, significant. So in the UK, if you look at their case trends, their trend line was going down. And then when this virus started to become dominant, it reversed and it started going back up uh, precipitously. Uh, this virus also uh, carries, it looks like it carries uh, uh, a possibility of more severe disease and death. 
and possibly 25 to 50 percent more than the old virus. Now, so what that means is if the death rate, let's say in a person 80 years old, where the death rate is higher, it might be, let's say, 5 percent overall. So maybe this will be 6 percent or somewhere in that range. Uh, so it's, I don't think it's worth a panic, but uh, it, is, it is a more dangerous virus. The uh, South Africa virus has some ability to evade the um, immunity that you develop uh, if you become naturally infected with, with COVID. And it might have some uh, effectiveness in reducing the, the amount that, uh, the, the degree to which the vaccine works against it. So these are, these are dangerous viruses. Um, the current evidence is that the vaccines still work. If you take the vaccine, the vaccine actually provides better, stronger immunity than does the disease, which is unusual. Usually the natural immunity is, is stronger. But all the evidence so far says that uh, the vaccine will protect you. And, uh, and if you do get infected, uh, if it is successful in evading to some degree, the odds are that you would not get a severe illness because the vaccines, if they, they're better at pr protecting against severe illness and death than they are at preventing infection in the first place, if you can follow me on that. Mm -hmm. So there, there are things to be worried about, but they're not things to really panic over or to get overly concerned. The big, the big uh, important thing to do is to wear a mask, socially distance, wash your hands, all of those things that CDC recommends to avoid getting infected and then to take the vaccine as soon as it's available to you. That's that's really the it hasn't changed recommendations at all at this point. And I've heard that uh, there might maybe boosters from the, uh, the, the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, one, yeah, the I think that they're already vaccinated. working on the research. Okay. Yeah, because we can see, you know, we work with influenza a lot and influenza mutates all the time. And we have to have a new vaccine basically every year. And. And so the coronaviruses aren't as mutagenic as the influenza virus, but they are more than we thought or scientists thought when, we, when it first appeared. But um, uh, it's the, the kind of writings on the wall. There has there's probably going to have to be boosters because these variants are going are to continue to change. And natural selection would say, well, they'll most likely change in the direction of becoming more infectious because that's how natural mm -hmm. selection works. And and uh, so I know that uh, some of the companies, probably all of them, frankly, are working on new formulations for the vaccine. And I would expect next year or the year after that, we'll have what we call a quadrivalent quadrivalent vaccine that protects us multiple variants of the virus. Hmm. This is coming. But I think we'll since the vaccine is working now. So the issue is getting the vaccine. In the future, the vaccine recommendations might change to those who did get the vaccine that maybe you should get a booster. I expect that'll probably happen, just to, like we do with influenza. And then later on, they'll probably have a vaccine that is protecting against the most most uh, prominent strains of the virus. So that there's so, potential to get revaccinated yeah. in a, in a year. Yeah, we don't. We know that uh, immunity is probably last months or years. We haven't been with the vaccine long enough to know exactly how long it'll last. But like influenza, 
because uh, you're, you take the vaccine, influenza vaccine, um, your immunity will wane over time, maybe over a few years, and the virus is changing. So what they try to do is adjust the vaccine every year to protect against, usually it's against three or four different influenza virus variants. And, uh, and it's, it's pretty good. Uh, it's, the influenza vaccine is not as effective as the coronavirus vaccine. It only protects infection about 60, 70% of the time on average. But it's very good at protecting against severe influenza disease and hospitalization and death. So it's, these characteristics are commonly found in, in, in vaccines, the different levels and persistence of immunity uh, in them is like this. Yeah, last year I, I had a flu shot and I got the flu. So it was sometimes that, that'll happen, but uh sounds like COVID is... Yeah, usually people don't really, you know, you get an upper respiratory, you don't, infection, you don't know if it's the flu. True. But true. It, you can take the shot and get the flu. But most of the time people are getting other types of upper respiratory infections. In fact, there's four other coronaviruses that cause upper respiratory infections in, in the United States, but they're mild. Mm-hmm. We don't worry about them very much. So suppose we're, we're hopeful that we, we ramp up the, uh, the, the, the vaccination process. We get more supply. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds, I would, I would think we're probably pretty bullish on that with, uh, some new vaccines oh, hit, yes, hit the market. So do you think, um, where assuming people get vaccinated, um, and are people re- responsible? I know there's a lot of talk about how much you need for herd immunity, but when right. do you just, I, 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 this is a tough question because nobody knows, we don't know um, mm-hmm. what the supply will look like for any of these, but do you have any estimations on when you think, uh, we'll, we'll get to the you know, most of the population getting vaccinated in 2021? Well, the, just for a second, the issue about herd immunity is uh, hard to answer because different viruses have different levels of the percent of population that is, that is immunized before they start to have blocking. You know, the herd immunity, what it does, there's so many immunes in the population, the pathway to infect people is blocked by these immune people. So it came, it literally comes from cows, you know, Mm-hmm. Viruses that affect cows. That if you have the, if you think of it in, in a in a group of cow, cows, the the cow in the middle uh, is protected if all the cows around it are immune. You see what I mean? So it's kind of the same thought. But if there's any break in that ring, then the virus could come in and infect the cow in the middle. So if you think about it in a simplistic way like that, that's what we have to. Now we're not talking about a group of cows. We're talking about the whole population, sure. all the population of South Carolina, you know, the whole the whole U.S. So what percent of the population do we need to have protected to get herd immunity? And it's probably pretty high because it's a fairly transmissible virus. No one knows. When I've read experts who do models on this, they tend to say between 70 and 80 percent of the population would have to be immune either through the vaccine or through natural infection. You may see some blocking of the virus. In other words, the incidence, the number of new infections starts to go down before that. But it it could be higher than that, a higher percent, maybe 80 to 90. We don't know. But the variants that are occurring are more transmissible. So every time you get a variant in that can replicate more rapidly, infect more people, then the level for 
complete herd immunity goes up in the population. I, I hope that's clear. Yeah, that, that is. Uh, that's a, uh, the the cow is a good analogy. That, that that's literally. Yeah, that's herd. where it came yeah. from. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And what about uh, just vaccinations in general and and reaching like a, a critical mass? Well, the uh, remember the vaccine immunity appears to be stronger than the natural immunity from the virus. So usually you can take. Let's say some people think that uh, there's somewhere around 25 to 30 million people in the United States that have been vaccinated are, and are, are immune. And that number is going up every week. Mm-hmm. The number of people who've had in uh, had natural infection already uh, is a little bit harder to, to predict. And there's no good studies out there that tells us that. Some people think it's uh, four times the number of reported cases. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but one could argue that there's 50 million Americans who are immune now to the virus from one way or the other. So we have about 340 million. Maybe we're at 50 million. Maybe it's higher. Maybe it's not that high. You can see we have a ways to go (laughs) to get to the herd immunity. Uh, And if if the vaccine starts slowing the virus down, then the immunity will predominantly come from the vaccine, not from the nat- not natural infection anymore. So that at some point will reach that transitional point. That makes sense. And and when when we get masks, so just kind of playing out twenty twenty one, you know, then let's let's assume that you know I think we're going to be wearing masks for a long time, uh, even if you get vaccinated. So we say that the vax the the Pfizer vaccine ninety five percent effective. That means one out of twenty can get infected. So um, if it's lower than that, you know, then you can do the math. And I think it's going to be quite a while before we're not, not going to be wearing masks. And by the way, masks have worked so well against influenza. And the influenza epidemics didn't appear this year, first time in, I yeah. think, since statistics have been recorded. So I think people are going to recommend it for influenza, too. So maybe during the flu season, you'll be asked to wear a mask. I don't know. But uh, – I think we're going for a year or two with masks, at least. Wow. But as someone who's going through the vaccination process, I'm, I'm guessing your antibodies will you know, kind of uh, settle in your body uh, within maybe a month or so. It's like, I think it's two weeks after the second shot. So just y- your comfort level, are you going to want to go out e- eating uh, you know, in, in the summer, do you think? Or, or, and just you're not usually a, a, a risk taker. I'll just no. float that out there. Um, uh, you know, you have to monitor what's actually happening. You know, kind of a question is, how do I know when it's safe? Mm-hmm. Well, the first would be the incidence of new infections. That incidence just means number of new infections in a certain time period. So we can track that very easily. There's good CDC and the states keep close track of this. They don't get all the cases reported, but the trend line is pretty reliable. So when that trend line starts going down, which it's doing right now, but that may be before the variants kick in, I'll come back and mention that, is that trend line goes down, that means the chances of you being exposed to someone who's got the virus are going down, if you follow Mm -hmm. my logic in that. And then if you're immunized and you have a 95% or a 72% efficacy of the vaccine you received, that further gives you protection. And pretty soon the risks start dropping so low, they're not really significant. 
And if you wear a mask, then they drop even further. So, um, so for me, once I finished my immunization and uh, I saw the, the uh, trend line going way down and the state health department starts saying, we're going to open up restaurants and uh, we still want you to wear a mask in public, but we think it's safe to go to restaurants, I'd probably go. Okay. Well, that, that's that's encouraging knowing you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But we'll probably be in this to. I mean, it's going to transform society certainly. I mean, it already has with with working mm-hmm. and, and and virtual uh, learning and all sorts of things. So, mm-hmm. so it's interesting. Uh, I'm encouraged. Uh, hopefully, I get my um my uh, my my vaccine here in the next few months. Uh, but we'll see. I, uh, some people have been volunteering uh, to um to help with the vaccination effort. And they, the reward, I guess, is um, they get vaccinated themselves, which mm-hmm. gives people incentive to help uh, with that, uh, that uh, the process. I'm not sure that they give that reward, but they should if they're not. They, they do locally. I don't know if it's everywhere, but okay. it makes sense. Uh, so well, I, know, I think that, that that's um, a good thing. I know a lot of young people that have gotten vaccinated just by spending a day at the, uh, the stadium. So, uh, okay, of course, well, that's great. This is a movie podcast, and we haven't talked movies. Uh, probably won't talk a whole lot of movies this time. Um, but of course, as you know, I'm on the board of a movie theater, and uh, and I, a lot of our audience really that's one experience people miss quite a bit. I think, and it's not just movie theaters. I think the entire population just misses crowded. You know, we're used to crowds, uh, events, uh, mm-hmm. concerts. Uh, I, here we have a, a street fair every every uh, every Saturday. It actually just is going on today. Mm-hmm. And uh, it usually is very, very crowded, but uh, much less so mm-hmm. this year. So yeah. um, we reopened in the fall, and then as the cases mm-hmm. – uh, and things went well. We, we did the pod kind of seating. Uh, people would sit together, uh-huh. right. wear masks. And they, they weren't allowed to go get concessions or anything, and it was going fine. But not a lot of people were coming the, to the theaters, and yeah. then when infections or when case counts – spiked again we we closed again uh so mm-hmm. do you do you think that uh the vaccination will help uh movie theaters and large cl- crowd events or do you think it's going to be a gradual scaled like restaurants you know um maybe 25 percent capacity right i think it's going to help because uh for movie just to be frank for movie theaters you know it's kind of a difficult situation because you have a setting uh where everyone's together in a large room and, uh, you know, I don't know about the ventilation, the air, con- air conditioning system and so forth. But this this is for me, someone as trained as an epidemiologist. You know, I think about super spreading. I know, you know, sure. you heard this. Oh, yeah. This thing where one person is just more infectious and they can spread it to many more. And there's been a long history of with influenza in movie theaters where where influenza is transmitted to a lot of the population in the movie theater. Now, influenza for most people is quite mild, right? I mean, if you got it, you may not think it's so mild, but it, it, it's like COVID in the sense that it tends to be the, the older people or people with certain conditions that are the ones that get, really get sick and die. It's by far heavier in those, those groups. But in a movie theater, you'd have to protect against all this, which is not an easy thing to do. So, uh, you know, mass and, uh, you know, the bubbles and other things can help. Uh, but you have to think about things like airflow and um, and how how well the the theater is ventilated. So it's it is a, it is a little bit of an engineering challenge. 
So like today, if you, it would be probably unsafe to, to go into a movie theater, even if you wear a mask, because the masks are great, but they're not 100%. Sure. So now what will happen in the future? So I think that I, I was pretty skept, uh, pessimistic about this, but I'm becoming more optimistic about it. First of all, the vaccines work really well. So if the group was, everyone in the movie theater was vaccinated, your risk drops down tremendously. If everyone is wearing a mask and in a bubble, it drops down even further. And then if you have a, a reasonable ventilation system that exhausting to the outside on a regular basis, and uh, you know you control that to some extent, those all contribute to making it more safe. And then even more important, if the incidence of uh, infection goes down in your community, then that means the odds of someone walking in that has COVID has gone way down. So then, so you have, you're kind of getting protection from several ways, right? So I think that there's to be some breaking, I suspect that there'll be some breaking point as to where it, it's not safe and then it, it starts to become safe and get safer over time. At least I hope that's the way that it works out. That makes sense. But I think you have to really be careful and check with the, the health authorities in the state who will know that they just know so much more about what's actually happening that it's, it's even from the statistics, it's hard for me to, to know for sure how safe or unsafe it actually is. But uh, this is a dangerous virus. Uh, this is going to go down, I think, as one of the top 10 pandemics in human history. Wow. So it's nothing to uh, it's at least the worst in 100 years since the what they call the Spanish flu, the great influenza epidemic in 1918, 19. And I think it's going to well, we'll see what happens. But my suspicion is that it's going to exceed the impact of that of that epidemic before it's done. At least it will worldwide, I'm pretty sure, because mm -hmm. the rest of the world is way behind the United States in uh, in getting the vaccine and taking precautions. It depends on which country you're talking about, because there's some good exceptions like New Zealand and Australia. But if you go to Africa, certain parts of Asia, uh, you know, in, the situation India, is more dire. Yeah. India. So do you think, uh, is there a potential to travel to say, you know, as you know, I, I was going to go to France last year and, and Prague um, is, um, do you think that's with vaccination efforts underway? Uh, do you th is that potential in well, right now? Yeah. Right now, if you go, you would have to have a negative COVID test within two weeks of departure. And then the return, they might require you to have a negative test or, and or quarantine for two weeks. I just watched a video about a group and went to Mexico before the, these requirements were put in place only to find out while they were there that they had to both quarantine and get a negative test. So um, that's going to go on for a while. They're talking about have what they call a vaccine passport so that you can document in some official way that you've been vaccinated and uh, that will allow you to pass borders. And, you know, we had the uh, the yellow forms that we did our it was called the International Vaccination Certificate. And they'd record um, certain types of vaccines like smallpox, yellow fever were always recorded in that. And they would that would often be checked by the country as you enter in. So it's going to be something like that was maybe they'll be combined into one into one document. But that's coming. It was in the paper this morning. So I think that is the vaccine, especially if we're going to Europe, 
I think that as the immunization levels go up, the uh, the restrictions are going to go down. And, but you may well have to show proof of vaccination. And I, I know that um, uh, generally on this show, we don't get into politics, uh, although with the arts, mm-hmm. I guess it's we're probably uh, – It's hard to stay out of it. Right, right. Um, but – of course, there is a new administration, and Tony Fauci mm-hmm. is now leading the effort uh, with uh, with the Biden administration. And I know you've uh-huh. worked with him before. I, do you have yeah. confidence that uh, that he and his team uh, will um will be able to lead us in the in the right direction? Uh, oh, I have great confidence in him. He, you know, he was uh, he was the or still is the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Immunology at NIH, and I was at CDC, so I would see him occasionally at at meetings and he was a very he's a very friendly person and very knowledgeable and uh you know he also one thing he does is he checks all his sources when he comes up and talks about things you know he's checked with lots of experts before he ever talks but i know i have complete trust in him and if he if he doesn't know something he'll tell you that yeah i like that if he told you one thing one time and he was wrong he'll come back and tell you that he was wrong so you want that in a leader so I have complete complete faith in him, uh, and he's a, quite a good communicator. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I have, uh, and I work with him on starting the international HIV uh, prevention program and care and treatment programs. And uh, he was greatly helpful getting that thing launched when when we were doing that back in the uh, the nineties, the late nineties. Was that what didn't? Wasn't that with Bush? With, oh, wait, not late yeah, 90s. that was with Bush. Okay. Yes, we put together. Um, it was George Bush authorized it? We hmm. put together a proposal, and actually, it was one of Tony Fauci's staff that presented it, and uh, at the White House. And he said, "I'll never forget it." He said, "You know what you boys need? You need some real money." <laughs> and he gave us uh, fifteen billion dollars. That's real money, which was more than the budget of CDC at the time. That was H so W or, or W Bush? George W. Oh, really? H.W. Okay. was good, too. H.W. was. Huh. You know, I work with him a bit. Interesting, because, you know, you, uh, I think a lot of people uh, see that, uh, you know, re- Republicans as, uh, as less helpful with uh, public health. Uh, maybe that's a misnomer. Um, well, that's that's very encouraging, and, and I appreciate you sharing all that. Uh, mm-hmm. We're kind of it's, – it's funny we're, with this uh, discussion, we're, we're getting lighter as we go because, uh, of course, COVID is very serious, but uh, – well, and I, I did want to save this to the end, but uh, since I have you on the show and I grew up with you, uh, and we know each other, you've seen seen me grow, and, right? Um, and so, so you kind of planted the seed for this, uh, you know, this this hobby of mine, this passion of mine, and mm-hmm. uh, and I I remember you um, as, as when I was a kid, you were a big hi fi, uh, uh, I guess, I don't know, I, I'm trying to think of the uh, the. The hi-fi file, like cinephile, uh, audio phrase. file, audio file. Thank you, but it was also video too. And I, I remember you had lots of, uh, you know, high-tech uh, tape decks. I remember one time you had a reel-to-reel system. Yes, and then, uh, and of course, you had a lot of uh, music CDs. And then later, as uh, the home media uh, for film came out, you bought a lot of. Uh, well, you, you were you were an early adopter of laser discs and actually you're the person that right. uh, that introduced me to the criterion collection back in the day. So, um, was it more just about, uh, was it about the content or was it about the, uh, the sound? I mean, what, what, what drove you to that? And, and do you still, well, uh, uh-huh. 
Well, go ahead. Go ahead. I had asked five questions at once. <laughs> I'll stick with what, what drove you to, uh, to th- that passion? Well, you know, I'm a Vietnam veteran. I mean, I was in the war. I was in the Air Force. And when I was in Vietnam, we had access to the um, military post, you know, the place you could go and buy uh, the, what do they call it, uh, commissary. But mm-hmm. they actually had a commissary that had a lot of Japanese electronics, which was pretty amazing at the time. And so all of us bought audiophile tape recorders and equipment. And in our lockers, I was uh, on the airfield and Tansanut Air Base. I was in a tent for what, but then I moved to the to the air base that had electricity, and we were on a little uh, hangar sit on the runway. And in our lockers, the small group of us, we all had big hi-fi systems in it, and listened to it all the time. So uh, that actually got me going. I, I was always a huge music lover mm-hmm. from oh yeah, you were five years of age, but the hi-fi that turned me on to the. Um, kind of audiophile world. And I never lost that. And then for the first 10 years or so of it, you know, we didn't really have videos that you could play. It was not until the VCR came out that you could be playing home videos. So uh, we got into that. We had the Betamax and then VHS systems. But you never know. Yeah, I I picked the better one, but not the one that lasts. (laughs) And then that that, uh, switched to um, the laser discs, which I thought were really wonderful. And they gave us access to this backlog, this catalog of all these like Centurion, yes, Criterion mm-hmm. and others. And they had a lot of extra features and extra discs and, and uh, commentaries on the movie. And I, that was a whole new world to me. I thought that was wonderful. And I recall you and I watching some of these a uh, long time ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that. I was sorry to see it go. It's obviously not as good of a format as what we have today. The uh, Blu-ray discs are much more have much more capacity. They have ultra Blu-ray now, and uh, but I went, I never lost the audiophile for music. Still keep that. Still listen to it all the time. But I moved into the um, the. It allowed me to move into the world of films, cinematography, and have a strong appreciation for it. I don't think I have anywhere near the knowledge that you have of it at this point. I think you've kind of left me behind, but I still have a great uh, interest in it. Yeah, when when we're over, I, well, of course you have a, a projection system, which is is pretty impressive, and it's it's better. So you have a better uh, high high def uh, um, uh, video system in your home than than I do, but I may have a few more films. I'm mm-hmm. just curious when you were buying laser discs. I, I remember going to that store with, uh, and I, I believe they were insanely expensive, like seventy dollars or something. Yeah, it was. Very... No, not that much, but they were expensive. I think you're about thirty dollars. Okay. The, which was a lot of money at the time. Sure. Yeah. Um, are there any discs that uh, that stick out to you that uh, that you? I, I remember you kept uh, you know maybe a hundred in this little wicker um, chest. So you had a good collection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like the you know there were these special editions which were maybe as much as a hundred dollars each, which is might be what you're referring to. But like the Star Wars series, they had that. I remember still going to the Star Wars movie back in the middle seventies, uh, with you. And they had that, they had uh, all the Disney things The they had uh, Dr. Strange love. I think that was a criteria. That was great. Yeah, it still is. It's on Blu-ray. Yeah. And, uh, they had a, really, they had a quite a good catalog early on and, uh, the laser disc, although it's not like an ultra, uh, 4k disc up today, but it was, it was pretty good. It was, it was, uh, 
it was a great improvement over what we had before. So, uh, yeah, it's funny, you know, Doctor Strange Love. I, I back when I was younger, I was just like a lot of younger kids. I uh, kind of snub or turned my nose up at uh, anything black and white or too old. And I remember you mm-hmm. praising this film, saying it was super funny. And I was like, ah. And and sometimes I think you know when when it comes from your dad, <laughs> no offense, dad. Yeah. But uh, sometimes sure. it's less cool. But uh, but I remember watching it with you and being blown away. And now it's uh, now it's a one of my. I've probably seen it five maybe 10 times already uh, and can quote it. Uh, so it's a masterpiece. Did you, did well, since get... we were in the military, we could really relate to it. Oh, I, and I was in the air force. I bet you could. Um, yeah. 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 Hopefully you didn't get that mission or glad you didn't get that mission. Uh, and no. any, did you get into any art house or foreign? I know you've watched some over the years, definitely not star Wars. No, I did. I did watch some. I, I've, uh, I'm not I'm not at the level you're at, but I I enjoy uh, you know I will watch anything, and I often find most of it quite quite good, quite interesting. But uh, uh, I have still have some, you know, I like old movies on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you can buy a lot of the uh, 1940s movies on uh, uh, some of them are even enhanced for 4K even. And because uh, they they if they shot it in a 35 millimeter, I think I have that right projector, they can make it 4K now if they take a long time. I think Criterion does that. You they, get they do, you get yeah. a very sharp image. Yeah, they have to rescan it. And yeah. I'm probably more into music and more into the, I'm more deeply into music than I am into video. But okay. I, I love both of them. OK, uh, well, since you've been uh, mostly quarantined, maybe not entirely since covid um, have you been watching anything? Is is there anything you'd recommend uh, over the last uh, year? I know that you probably you probably watched a lot. Well, we watch we've watched a lot. We've watched just about everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, there's some things we've enjoyed more than others. But uh, uh, we watched uh, the uh, movie Tenet last night, and uh, I have an Ultra HK uh, version of that on our system here. And that was quite interesting. I'll have to totally understand all of it. I have to watch it again. But the idea of time travel, the way they implemented it, was uh, pretty interesting. We've There's a lot of good movies out there now. I think there's better content out there in the movies and in the TV shows than we've ever had. I agree. And uh, Tenet was supposed to be the, the major box office uh, film of the summer. And in fact, I... A lot of theaters held out hope that it would uh, perform, and I think it actually did perform okay. And, and ironically, mm-hmm. China—they're they, watching movies in China in, in theaters in China. Oh yeah, they're big fans. Yeah, my friends from China and Vietnam just watch all the movies. So, but of course, that it didn't do well here because theaters were closed. Uh, I I watched yeah. it, and I, I thought it was very an interesting spectacle um, and thought provoking. But uh, and and some like the ending scenes, uh, that, that sequence at the end was really, um, really impressive. Great sound design, but um, I, I, not my favorite Christopher Nolan, but I, I enjoyed it. I wonder how the movie theaters will fare now that the studios have gone to releasing out for home video uh, things that they would have held back for a few months in the movie theaters, how that's going to change the industry. I, but, yeah, uh, that's something we've talked about a lot, and I think um, I think that is a threat. You know, there there is... We've seen with HBO Max and uh, Netflix, they just put it right out. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing, though, I, I think 
the one thing I'm holding out hope for the theaters is that there, there's so much content that's been held. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. James James Bond, I think, has been uh, postponed about ten times. I think now it's slated. Yeah, for I've heard that October twenty twenty one, and uh, and there's other, mm-hmm. plenty of others. There's probably hundreds of films. I think mm-hmm. now the content's starting to dry up. Uh, now with, uh, with the Oscar mm-hmm. season and uh, and not a lot. I think there's a lot of documentaries. That are, they're probably easier to make during COVID. Uh, but I, mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that just the all the content that's going to come out in twenty twenty one, if if things are safe, that that will um, that will bring that industry back to and actually uh, amc theaters were almost out of business and then the the stock situation yeah. uh, might have saved them so that's hmm. uh, I, yeah in a pandemic who, who would have guessed i would have we've been predicted <laughs> for years and years yeah no one listened to us <laughs> we started from uh almost when i first came to cdc thinking there's going to be a pandemic and uh took a long time before it actually occurred but it does occur. You told me that uh, to expect yeah. it, and I, I, I'll be, I'll be honest. I, you know, I doubted it. Didn't so. believe it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm... Well, we talked about it for more than several decades before when it occurred. Right. So you tend to lose, you know, credibility over time if you. But that's the way public health is. We mean, and I'm going to give a lecture on uh, what they call epizootics. These types of infectious diseases that emerge from animals, which is most of the epidemic diseases we have now that's the circumstance like hiv mm-hmm. uh, like nipah virus there's many of them there's so many of them that it's hard to even remember them all we, we've also had some near misses too like uh, h1n1 uh, Bottom. sars yeah and, uh, ebola actually super scary but it turned out to not uh, have much of an impact so i think you well ebola is still there well yeah you're right but different type of different type of thing <laughs> But okay, well, this has been um, super helpful, and I appreciate you coming on and talking about COVID. Uh, hopefully, can we'll, I mention one more thing just quickly as oh, we please, close? Please, yeah. I just want to say that uh, you know, since I worked, I was with the immunization division of CDC for more than a decade, and off and on after that. And then I came to FHI. I supervised clinical trials on vaccines and a lot of other things. So I'm pretty familiar with vac- immunization vaccines, but the the vaccines that we've developed that I had nothing to do with, but that the mm-hmm. companies and the scientists have developed are amazing. And uh, it's just breathtaking that they could do this so quickly with such a high quality, come up with totally new technologies, which are probably going to bring about a renaissance in vaccine development for many other infectious diseases. It's a real silver lining yeah. in this terrible tragedy of, of it. And uh, they haven't been quite as effective, although they've made a lot of progress in treatment, but it's, they haven't had the big breakthroughs that we've had with vaccines, but it is amazing. And it reminds me of when the um, antiretroviral drugs first came out when we were in California and people who were near death came back to life, went back to work. That was an amazing period in my career, technological advanced, amazing. So we witnessed it again in a different area of technology, but it's amazing. And, uh, you know, it could be a lot worse. It could be, yeah. That that is a great point. Yeah, you don't want to look at the bright side of a of a, a pandemic too uh, too closely, but uh, but yeah, there are a lot of learnings we um from uh, from this one, and it's uh, it's going to change us. And uh, for public health uh, and vaccination that's sounds right. like in, in a positive way. So that's uh, that is that is good. All right, Dad. Well, silver lining. I okay. Appreciate the talk. Look forward to coming to visit no at some point. And I I think. 2021 at some point i think we'll we'll probably have a better 
better year than last year, certainly. So um, I think so. Look forward to it and uh, enjoy the rest okay. of your weekend.